At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Optimum Drive podcast presented by the Fast Lane Talk. My name is Paul Gerard, former Top Gear Stig for the USA show. The reason I say that is going to become very obvious in just a minute when I introduce my guest today, who is a, a world renowned driver, wrote an amazing, clever book, is a very successful, not only racing driver through his career, but now as a public speaker going and doing events and engagements for motivational stuff, team building stuff, and just plain entertainment. And with that, I, I'm so happy to welcome, uh, who I could say a pretty good friend now, we've known each other a while, but the original Stig, the guy that dressed in black for Top Gear UK, ladies and gentlemen, Perry McCarthy. How you doing, Perry? Oh, Hello. This is exciting. I have, I have, since I ever sort of conceived of the Optimum Drive podcast, I was, you were on the short list of guests that I had to have because I've, I've known you now. We met one time a long time ago, like 2010, you flew out to the U.S. for an event through a mutual friend, Paul Charsley, who, um, and we did an event, I think it was for Honda. And uh, I met you there. And, um, and then we sort of, and then during that time, I was actually the Stig. You didn't, you didn't know it at the time, but, uh, you had retired from the role on the UK show. I was doing it on the U S show. And then we've sort of been, you know, friends on Facebook and LinkedIn and, and all of that stuff ever since then. And I've read your book. I read it a long time ago, actually. And, uh, such a great read. If, if anyone, if you haven't read uh, flat out, flat, flat broke by Perry McCarthy. Make sure you grab that. It is a very, very entertaining read, as you're about to find out, because Perry is a better, very entertaining guy. <laughs> Actually, to, to be honest, the book's going really, really well. We sold another copy just last month. Oh, that's fantastic. So including the one I bought, let me do the math on this. That's two. <laughs> Hang on a second. Karen, you can get the chicken out of the fridge. We can eat tonight. <laughs> so this is going to be fun. And, and you know, we get I, I this is kind of exciting because I, you know, I've talked about being the stig before and everyone just, just kind of looks at you sort of puzzled like this strange existence. So I want to compare notes with what it was like for you to be the stig. The original stick, because you basically, as I always refer to you, you're the OG stick. So you you kind of set the tone and probably, you know, the role and the character and who it was. You know, all of that was largely stuff you came up with. So that's definitely a topic. Um, and then you're racing stuff, of course, which is super cool. Um, Perry, you know, 
fought and worked. It, it's one of those great stories in racing where he did get to Formula One, which is unbelievable. I never did. I tried. I never made it there. Um, Perry actually did it, and he did it with no money, hence the title of his book, <laughs> Flat Out, Flat Broke. Um, and he did it just through hard work, deal-making, determination, um, being quick on his feet, and, uh, and I, I think a kind of a keen intellect in, in that way as well, where you're able to put these deals together and, and just make such a an impression on people that they would you know, with very little time knowing you would trust you and, and sponsor you to throw you in a car, you know, and not realizing you, you know, you were doing the whole thing on a wing and a prayer. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to find a good sponsor. It's like trying to find Glenn Miller, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's really difficult, but it's kind of, as you're aware, we kicked off Top Gear in 2002 and my involvement came immediately because it's funny you should mention the book, Paul, because it was actually at my book launch in London we had a big party. So there was a lot of friends from F1 come, some friends from TV, and one of those friends was Jeremy Clarkson. And it was actually at the book launch that Jeremy said, look, Top Gear's been off air for a real long time, which it had been. We're going to bring it back, and we've got an idea for you. And we want you to be this secret, unnamed, silent racing driver. And as you said, first thing, all in black. And he said, we're... We want you to wear black shoes, black overalls, black gloves, black crash helmet, a black visor. And we're going to call you the gimp. And I said, no, you're not. And they were really serious. And I said, no, no, no. Look, I've seen Pulp Fiction. Forget it. It's not going to happen. I said, it's a deal breaker. Anyway, they saw the light and come up with the Stig. And I said, OK, that's fine. We'll go with that. Um, and it's amazing. Keeping the character secret really worked because... The question of who is the Stig became one of the top 10 questions asked on the internet. I, I was just behind, is there a God and am I pregnant? You know, it was a, it was in that order. <laughs> but the Stiggy stuff was, it was good fun. And as you say, it came toward the end of my career in motor racing. Um, and there were, there were some good bits to it. I mean, I'm a racing driver first and foremost. So I, I liked competing a lot more. Um, but yeah, that's that's how we kicked it off. And when they described they wanted it secret, I thought, well, okay, we can make this character a little bit meaner, a little bit nastier. And and I thought, okay, the Simpson crash of it, that's got this kind of Star Wars look to it. So I thought, okay, we'll have that. It makes it look a little bit otherworldly. So I went and got one, they agreed it. So I said, okay, this is what we'll do. And then the other thing is, is that I was kind of thinking, you know, I, most of the time I'm a fairly, fairly chatty guy uh, a lot of the time. No, but actually I, I do have moments, quite a lot of them, where I'm just, I like to be completely quiet and I'm thinking. But if I'm at a track, and especially if it's qualifying or something like that, then there is a responsibility sometimes to be speaking with the team or be speaking with the sponsors or sometimes, of course, our beloved spectators fans etc but there's a part of you that doesn't want to because well that's the way i process stuff anyway and i don't think i'm unique on that but so there's this pull and push sometimes because of being human and having some responsibilities and you know also hopefully some kind of kindness as well but the racing driver side of me anyway 
is way more ruthless than that and just wants to focus. And I thought, well, with Stiggy, he doesn't have to worry about any of that. So just make Stig, he doesn't, it's not that he doesn't care about people. He just doesn't even understand them. He doesn't understand the concept of relationships. And that's what I wanted to try and bring to the party. Just say people can be talking and I just fold my arms and walk off because it's, it wasn't being in a car. So really that's the idea that I had that I wanted to bring to the party about this creature that only knew everything else was impatient, just bored, bored, yes. bored, 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 or doesn't understand. Just put me behind a steering wheel. So that was the kind of pure racing driver side of it. Yeah, that, I mean that all that all makes absolute perfect sense. And and actually, to me, um, in you know, I I didn't talk to you before I started playing the character. I'd obviously watched you and. Uh, you know, watch Top Gear, and that's where I got all my information from. And then, you know, the whole anonymity part of it was, you know, they were like, if anyone finds out who you are, you lose the job. <laughs> so, it was, and so, so then it was just like, don't talk to anybody. Uh, you know, don't let it because a lot of it, it's a small industry, isn't it? So a lot. Do you know, of they said that to me. It's that yeah. Jeremy said, look, you can't tell anybody. So I said, well, you know, we're shaking hands. But I'm not going to tell anybody. I said, actually, Jem, I'm going to have to tell Karen, my wife. And Jem said, no, you can't tell Karen. I said, Jeremy, I'm going to have to tell Karen. He said, no, you can't tell Karen. I said, mate, I'm going to have to. I said, you know, Karen, I'm going to have to tell her. He said, but why? I said, buddy, I said, on a filming day, you try getting up at six o'clock in the morning, dressed from head to foot in black leather, saying, I'm going out, darling. I should be home around midnight, but nothing's going on. He said, I see your point. You can tell Karen. Exactly. So funnily, funnily enough, my wife is also named Karen. <laughs> and, oh yeah, yeah, and uh, and I did tell her as well. And I, there were four people that knew who I was. One was the person writing the checks at the BBC, and one was Tanner Faust, who was one of the hosts, and and the other one was my boss because I needed to get off work so often. Um, and so so I kept that circle really tight. And hmm. but to go back, like to what you were talking about with the character. That's exactly it. You're right. I mean, I can totally relate to what you were saying about as a racing driver, you, you know, you're so intently focused on simply your performance and the car's performance that you 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 are forced to interact with with fans and the team and all of that stuff. There's all these obligations that come along with being at the track and being the driver of a car. But you don't want to do that stuff because you want to just focus on trying to optimize yourself as a driver. Well, some sometimes yeah sometimes you don't want to yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So. other times other times it's remarkably easy to you know re obviously relating with the team is part and parcel of the job because you're doing yeah. that not for a laugh but you're doing it to try and clearly maximize what you what you've got under you um yeah. and then it's always a delight to speak to the spectators but sometimes they don't realize that there is a moment you want to switch yeah. off when because things you are going are winding well, up. you can chat with them. When, when the car's not going well, you're like, yeah. Ah. <laughs> but yeah, that's really, that's cool. And that's amazing, you know, that it came up from a conversation at your book launch. I think that's, that's, I mean, so appropriate and fitting. That's really, really cool. I remember finishing up my book. I was doing, um, this is kind of funny. So when I was finishing writing my book, and I actually shot a little video of me sitting in the car, I was sitting in a Land Rover um, out at um, a dry lake bed in California. And I was on my laptop editing 
the last version of the book before it was published. And I was at the set for the launch of the Grand Tour. And so, oh, yeah? I, really? so, I, so yeah. I was on set for Grand Tour. I had been doing a bunch of driving. They were, uh, and, you know, they're all Jeremy James Richard and, and Phil Churchwood is the, was the director of that. And they're, they're all standing in a circle, like right in front of me. I'm in the vehicle. They're just out front of the nose of the vehicle. And I'm tapping away on my laptop going, this is kind of cool. I'm finishing my book while I'm on set <laughs> for the, the it, and it was the, the, the launch of the grand tour. It was the first episode where Jeremy came across and they did the Mustang shoot, you know, which was the first grand tour episode. So that is a, a little bit more of a connection there, but, uh, but that's, yeah. that's so amazing. I mean, so what else, anything else that was said at that, the, the party as far as the launch and the character, or it was just kind of that simple. No, that was pretty much it. Um, then we went to the track and I made some suggestions on the track layout um, because I that's, I think they've done a fairly good job. They've worked with some people, I believe it's from Lotus, on designing the track. But once I got there, I was pretty happy with most of it, but I felt what they were trying to achieve, maybe a couple of small adjustments, which they actually went with, so that was cool. Um, cool. But, yeah, actually I should mention while we're on here because one of the things that really gets on my nerves is people think that I brought it up about being the stig in my book. So the um, your your listeners or viewers will hopefully understand that I wrote my book before Top Gear came out, you know, right. because I it was a, a stig that followed me that then wrote a book all about being the stig. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah. Yep. And so th I think that's um that's an important distinction to anyone watching. So there there have been three now because they're I, I mean i guess we could still say he's current though they just announced the show was on hiatus for the foreseeable future so i won't say his name though i do know him um but it was but perry mccarthy you the first original stig then ben collins the one that uh was the stig after you that as you said wrote the tell-all book and I, I i actually was working on a top gear uk episode they were here in the uk uh, in the us jeremy james and richard just after that had happened. And by the way, they were so mad at him. Like, like they wanted, they, they were talking about lawsuits and just all these things that were, they were so mad at, at how he had done it and how unprofessional he had done it. Um, and so, yeah, that's a good distinction. That was not Perry. <laughs> that was Ben Collins. Perry. Perry. Well, after, after I left the show, the second edition of my book came out and, you know, as you kindly said, it's, it was about my journey through motor racing. It's not all about Top Gear. But it, then after I'd come out and I had permission to do it, I mentioned I was the Stig, but that took up like, I don't know, three pages. It was like the, it was a, it was a very visual thing about my career, but my career was coming through motor racing and, and how I did it. And, uh, and as you say, getting to Formula One, clearly with, uh, Pretty rubbish team, but I got there. <laughs> it, it's, I wasn't really able to. It's one of the great. It is one of the great stories to me because you know you, you know you didn't show up. You didn't have all this experience. You weren't this uh, carding prodigy with wealthy parents, um, with their eye on the prize, or or you know that it wasn't like that at all. And so I think that's a. I think that's it's and I think that's why the book has always resonated and you've you've sold those three copies that you've sold. Um is 
you know, because the, th there's interest in a fourth copy as well. Actually, uh, somebody told me they might be buy one in the future. So, it's, oh, that's Christmas. Could actually, come it's, I think I think in total, I'm not completely sure, but I think it's about 160, 170 thousand copies it's sold. That's now. amazing. That's so amazing. it's it's not bad, but I kind of I think that. I don't know. It's it's difficult sometimes to talk about yourself without sounding flash or proud because I, I would never use the word proud about what I do. I recognize things that I do. I recognize things that I've done. But for me, sadly, and it's not a great thing to say, but nothing's ever really quite good enough. That That's how I feel genuinely. You know, I always feel there was more to be done or there is more to be done or how can I do this better? And sometimes I think, oh, okay, not bad, but, you know, not perfect. I think from all the laps I've ever done, definitely haven't ever done a perfect lap. I'm, I might have been, funny enough, it was probably in the States I've been, was was close, probably. But you, you're never going to get a perfect lap. But I always look at everything like that. Um, but you can drive yourself nuts. So I think that's where my sense of humour probably was a protective mechanism to comment and when i first kicked off to get the money together to even come in after deciding i want to be a racing driver and then realizing that there's a, a small word with a big meaning beginning with m ending with honey <laughs> so how do you get the money to even start and you're right without parents or family connections that can do that so i went to work on oil rigs and these oil rigs were in the north sea which is not the loveliest place in the world and that was two and a half years uh, out there to get the money together to start. But when I did, <clears throat> when I did start, it was kind of um, the difficulty was that you're coming straight in against, you know, some lads who had really been karting and stuff since they were quite young. So they've been through national championships and international championships. And now you're coming at kind of seasoned professionals as I'm coming in to start motor racing at 21. Now, that was pretty late. And the moment I started, I was I was pretty quick, to be quite frank. And But I was, Bernie Ecclestone happened to be at Brands Hatch, and somebody took me along and introduced me to him. And he looked at me, he said, son, you're 21 years old. You've got no money. You've got no experience your chances of getting to Formula One are about a million to one. And every time I tell that story, I sound more and more like Michael Caine. Right? You do sound but, a bit like Michael Caine. <laughs> Michael Caine. And it always points, right? But so all I could think of was, wow, I've just kicked off and I've just met Bernie Ecclestone. That's it. So that was silly as a bunch of lights to think like that. But it well, was... You know, you know the scene from Dumb and Dumber, right? Where he gets told, not if you were the last man on earth, and his response is, so I've got a shot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's exactly how you think. You're like, he didn't say <laughs> I couldn't. He just said it was going to be impossible. And and to people with this type of mindset, because I'm exactly with you on this story, like this is my progression through <laughs> racing as well. I, I'm just like, that's a challenge, like challenge accepted, like Okay, Bernie, I'm going to prove no, but, to you. No, but the God's honest truth is, sorry to interrupt, Paul, but the God's yeah. honest truth is I actually didn't think like that because oh, really? it, didn't, it didn't register as a challenge from him or anybody else. 
it was it was in my head it was all about no it was about me can can i do it and i must admit i i'm not sure if i'm correct on this but i think i am i don't think i'm terribly competitive as a person even as a racing driver um because if the people I was against was, you know, Damon, Damon Hill and Johnny Herbert, Mark Blundell, Mark Brundle, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if they went and did something, I thought, okay, fine. The person I was competitive against was actually me because I can't really control what they do as far as a quality lap's concerned or whatever. So it was about what can I do? And that was fairly harsh because I'm on to myself to say, further, later, faster. Obviously, I'm, I'm stating the obvious that that's what you have to do to try and come through to get to F1. So again, there was no, I've probably got one quality in life that I would boast about, is that I've never been jealous of anybody in my entire life about anything. And that is the God's honest truth. So if somebody got a drive ahead of me, I'd think, damn it, fast. I wish I'd got that drive. But they're in the same business as me. If they beat me to a race drive, okay, well done. Now I wish you good luck because the competition's over. Therefore, or there were occasions when I beat them to a drive kind of thing. So it, that's that's how I saw things. But I think it kept me in good stead because there were enough hurdles to clear anyway to keep. Once I kicked off, I pretty much, to be honest, had to win because I, my oil rig money was only going to last so long. So, and I probably didn't do too bad because I, I won the British Championship pretty much straight out of the box. So that was Formula Ford. So that was, okay, great, you know, big tick box. But all that was was the initial platform for a much bigger fight going forward, a yeah. much bigger fight. Yeah. And then it was a question of going, well, you know, we need a few bucks here. As they say in NASA, no bucks, no buck Rogers, you know? So that that's the deal. You've got to find the money. So, and unfortunately, I would say most of my time, way more time than going round and round in circles, was spent knocking on doors, chatting people up, trying to convince any company that they've been lucky to survive in business without sponsoring me, you know? <laughs> and so just to introduce the fun they could have, what we could build around it. And so there's two careers. Yeah. There's the one that preferably you would have just said, I'm a racing driver. I don't have to do all that. But it's rubbish because I did. Because yeah. without doing all that, that career, there wasn't going to be the first career. Right. So hopefully you get better at both of them. It would have been much better or much purer to just go, I've got all the backing in the world from a family or whatever, whoever, and yeah. just completely concentrate on driving and then being with the best team in F3, the best team in 3000, the best team F2, the best team in the States, whatever, to just keep making sure financially that was yeah. available to give you the best chance. But most of the time it's about getting just enough money to get to not a great team, but in the next level. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, 
We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So you said about Dumber and Dumber. I watched, I think it's Rocky Balboa. It's like number five or number six in the franchise. And yeah. Paul, there was a brilliant, I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite a fan of Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Because everybody thinks, well, he just talks like that and everything. It, it, the guy is very bright and very yeah. talented. He's, he's a great writer and the things he's made happen. But I'm going around the block here. There was a line that he was having a row with his son and putting his son right in the right. I know where you're going in, in the street. Yeah. And he said something. He said, yeah, uh, life is tough, you know, and it's, it's not just how much you can punch or how you can punch. It's about how hard you can get punched and still keep moving forward. And I really actually did subscribe to that because that was the key thing was, yeah, can you take a whack in the face? Yeah. Can you take two or three? A lot of people can't. Can you take five, six or seven? An awful lot more people can't. Can you take 20, 30, 40 and keep moving forward? So it was either do that or quit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Quitting may have been easier, you know. Yeah, well, it certainly would have been easier, you know. But that. And that's but the most important thing was that in. I, I beg your pardon, and don't worry, I'll I'll, I'll finish off now because you know what I'm like. I can rabbit as we call it in London forever. <laughs> that's what yeah. we're here for. <laughs> but but the most important thing was is that when you did get in the car, is that I do feel that everybody knew that there was nothing left, you know. So they had it uh, because I was so desperate that if it was no testing and I've just got into a Formula 3000 now called Formula 2 and I'm against, you know, all the big stars who were knocking on the door of F1, it's just not good enough to be nowhere. So even with a a low-level team, my job was to try to shine. So finishing seventh with a, a car that other people weren't even qualifying that's your win. That's your reputational win. So clearly, I would love to have been standing on the top step of the podium. But if I couldn't do that, it was the reputational win that, well, that was the result of it. My heart wasn't thinking, I want reputational win. My heart was to try and bite for a steering wheel and, and do everything I possibly could because I wanted to go fast. That, that, was, that was in me. And that's what I absolutely live for. Yeah, I, I think there, I mean, there's a purity to that, of course. And 
that's probably the thing that I, I, I read that you, your first time driving, you went and did a, like some laps or a school at Brands Hatch and that's what sort of yes. took everything off. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And had you, and you hadn't done any racing, you hadn't done any karting. Only on the road. Yeah. So exactly. <laughs> Statute of limitations, you're fine. Um, but that, that, I mean, again, it, I think similarly to you, I had a similar thing instead of working on oil rigs, by the way, my dad's best friend, um, you know, when I, I grew up in, in England and my dad's best friend, I called him uncle Ralph, but he was on oil rigs and he was, a I know it. Yeah, exactly. Uncle, uncle Ralph. Ralph. Everyone knows Uncle Ralph. But he worked he worked there on oil rigs for 20, 30 years and he lived in Newcastle. And we used to go up and visit him all the time. And and just so anyone doesn't know, those those North Sea oil rig guys are just notorious. It's like the toughest people because the weather, the conditions, it's just it's horrendous. Um, and so some of the some of the toughest people you'll ever meet have spent time on these oil rigs. And, they, you know, they're brawlers and fighters and, and just tenacious people. And and he, he was like that, too. So I can kind of relate to to that end of it. And for me, like I actually I worked a construction job to fund my first racing. So I worked a summer uh, as a laborer working construction and work, worked my way up. And eventually I was an assistant superintendent and a superintendent. But that's how I got my money. And then I went to Europe to the Winfield School and entered their competition. So, you know, it, it's all and, and I was 24, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, a, a lot of this, I think it's it's a cool story because I think in racing, so many people, obviously, you focus on the people that are at the very top and they're and the ones that are winning. Um, and, and rightfully so, they get all the press. I mean, it is motorsports. It is about racing and about results. But you bring up this great point about finishing seventh in a car that shouldn't be there and and like there's great stories like that in motorsports and that's how you know you have the reputation that you have even though um you know you're not a multi-time world champion in formula one you're still very highly thought of in motorsports as a driver uh certainly as a character <laughs> and and a lot of that comes from uh, to, to use the boxing uh, analogies one more time you're punching way above your weight you know you're 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 in a car that shouldn't even be on the grid and and you're passing and in front of people that and racing with people that are in much much better cars much better prep cars and and the cool thing is is like while the media doesn't necessarily notice that sort of thing they focus on the top three really in every race but but the people in the industry do know and that's how you can kind of keep going yeah, but you know something, actually, um, and I'd like to pay people their due as we go through this chat. Actually, it was very much the other way around with me. The motor racing media were hugely on side. That's yeah. cool. And they, yeah, it really was. Um, and they pretty much always were. So that was, I'll always remember that. It's quite touching for me that so many people actually really did believe in me because you can, you know, you can stand there just howling at the moon saying, I'm quick, give me a chance and everything yeah. else. But goodness gracious, it's um, it means the world when people who are quite respected actually put an arm around you and just say, yeah, yeah, listen, we, we think you've got something. And you just go, oh, I'm not a complete idiot. And maybe a bit of an idiot, but not a complete idiot, you know. 
and yeah. it, it really does mean the world. It, it, you know, I'm, I don't know. I, you mentioned the rigs and the mentality out there. I, I probably am, let's say, a bit of a hard nut when it comes to, you know, knocks, falling over, failures, recovering from them, all that kind of stuff, and my attitude to it as well. But a complete softy when somebody does put their arm around you and just say, come on, son, and I just go, oh, thank you very much, you know? So it does actually mean the world to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really cool. And that's what I was saying, like, they're, within the industry, there are people that that do look for those stories. Like, they see that car in seventh that shouldn't be in seventh. Um, and and you do get that recognition around the pit lane. And certainly, I think of people on on our side of the pond, guys like Jeremy Shaw, who's a, you know, who does the Team USA every year for, for the Formula Ford Festival at Brands Hatch. And he's one of those guys where he'll find like, you know, he does he does his stories as a journalist, not on the usually on the fast guy, but the guy that's up where he shouldn't be. Um, so it, it's it's kind of Jeremy cool. was Jer Jeremy was exactly one of those people. Jeremy, exactly. Shaw and Jonathan Ingram in America. Jonathan Ingram, yeah. As, as soon as I came to the States, they were immediately on side with me. Mm -hmm. And and I recognized that I, I loved I loved racing in America. Absolutely loved it because I actually stood a chance, even though we were with a really small team and we were against the works Jaguars, the works Nissans, the works Toyotas, the works Porsches. You know, they were spending serious, serious stuff. Um, our little spice Chevy is that I think that I think there were plenty of times where I had the advantage on them of the throttle response on the Chevy. Now, clearly, of course, they're all turboed. So, yeah. you know, if you get to somewhere like Portland, this bye, I'll see you in the bar after, you know, they're coming past you like that. But other places I was able to make it up because I I was quite literally treating the bloody thing like a cart. But 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 with the throttle response, back then I don't think the turbos were quite as nimble as they became. And the other thing was, you know, I was I knew I was being considered for Formula One in a few different places. So yeah, I was in my element pool. Yeah. yeah. And I just love yeah. riding in the States. And I beg your pardon, but just expanding from what you're saying about these journalists, I found an immediate home there, cool. a tight little team who totally believed in me. And and the journalists, they they really, they made me feel it was all worth it. And you know, the more they made me feel it was worth it, I was finding another level. And I absolutely knew that. I, felt, I knew I'd, I knew really I was finding quite big levels in Formula 3000, to be honest, because if if one were to look at my entire career, even by Formula 3000, I really hadn't done very many races. You know, season of Formula Ford, a bit of a season in Formula Ford, which wasn't very good at all. 1985 was a disaster, absolute disaster. Then F3 in 86, and then moving toward 3000. So from what should be a seasoned professional, I still wasn't very far away from having come off the street, and I'm now yeah. in the level just below F1. But it started really clicking by then. The, the more the more power I had, the more interested I was. The faster I could go, the more interested I could, because I felt it could make a difference. I felt I could make more of a difference with stuff that had more power, more speed. 
mm-hmm. you know. But um, I can't remember what the question was, but that was the answer. No, I I liked I liked all of that, and it was um, it, it's it's all. And by the way, I feel the same way. I'm much more at home. I feel much more alive, much more engaged in a high horsepower car. I, I think they're they're just and, and to your point, I think that almost sums it up really succinctly, perfectly. I feel I can make more of a difference in a high horsepower car. Uh, and I just enjoy driving something that's 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 got more downforce, more grip and more power. It's just more engaging, isn't it? Um, and, uh, and and more exciting to drive. And to those the other things, thing is, is that but this is. This really is kind of it's it's slightly big headed in a way. Well, actually, it's not. Um, I have to try and qualify this and think it through. But I honestly, this might sound really stupid. Well, actually, it doesn't. It's I I believed I was a Formula One driver who wasn't there yet. You know, sure. at yeah. every step. Yeah, and I, <laughs> but I actually did. I yeah. actually yeah. did. Yeah. So the closer I was getting to it, the more I felt I was making progress and the more interest the whole thing had for me. You know, yeah. that was and that that excitement of then beginning to knock on the door of because, you know, by the time we was I don't know if you know, but by the time we was in 3000, life was getting a little bit rough, to be quite frank. You know, there were so many of us who were desperate to get into F1 and a lot of people were getting hurt. You know, it was getting it was getting a little bit punchy out there, you know, but uh, but that's how it goes. But that was but that was the even more excitement for me going. I know F1 teams are talking about me. They'd already approached me, but I didn't have any kind. And believe me, they were talking small money, but I had nothing. Right. You know? right. Absolutely nothing. I mean, that my house was already signed over to get me into Formula 3000. Because I'd made, believe it or not, Paul, I'd made some pretty good money when I was in Formula 3. I actually yeah, did. I got cool. so many sponsors. I bought a property. With the property, I, I renovated it, did that up, sold that, bought another one, much bigger place, renovated that. Suddenly, I've got really meaningful equity. And then industry fell over. There was no sponsorship to take me to 3,000. I went, okay. And we just started a family. Inside. And I just said, okay, right. See you later. Bye to the house. That got me into three thousand with a back of the grid team. That wow. that was that wasn't front of the grid. That was just to get in three thousand. But it 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 worked. It paid it paid off. Yeah, it's so difficult to sustain momentum, and so you have to do. If you don't have, you can't just simply write a check. You've got to figure out a way to keep that momentum going because they'll just forget about you, right? It won't take long. And uh, you won't be the the darling of the of the uh, insider press for Formula Three Thousand anymore. You know they'll move on to someone who is there. You're absolutely right. Yeah. That that's you know this. If there's momentum, you've got to find every way possible to carry it through. You know, you I mean, the the number one thing I didn't want to be doing is that I didn't want to be leaning against the bar. You know, having a beer with some people, just saying, oh, you know, I could have been a racing driver, uh, but I didn't have the money. I just that was impossible for me to think of, and that's why absolutely everything went into forging some kind of opportunity. So recognizing opportunity or creating an opportunity, doing pretty much a lot of stupid things to make sure that I got there. And you know, I mean, you, you know, do you know the passion involved to make? to make that happen really you've got to be passionate 
Yeah. You know, you've got to want this at all costs to live like that. Yeah, I think I think when you said you had this belief that you should be in a Formula One car, that that will drive it all, right? And and will push you to 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 be to take that last lap pass or to keep pushing out of the car to make sure you're in the seat. It doesn't matter. It's all it's all the same. It's a means to an end. Let me ask you a question a little bit off topic, but it, but I, I'm just curious, since you came in right into Formula Ford and you did so well in Formula Ford, you were quick right away, which is which is again, a lot of people try, very few are ever quick right away. Yeah, yeah, but stupid, but but yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Brave, right? But where do you how did you develop your race craft? passing people, you know, managing the car, all of that. Did you do that in that first season on the fly? Yeah, pretty much. But, but you know, it's there were a whole bunch of mistakes. That, don't worry. There, there really were. Um, but, yeah, I couldn't do much about that because there was, you know, nowhere else to really practice. But I kind of... There's a there's a lot. I mean, I was watching TV, I was seeing things, but obviously inside the car is a completely different thing. But it just it just seemed to be that I w- I was looking at this thinking I seem to be quite good, you know. And then it's a question of concentrating. And after a while of being in the sport, thinking, well, actually, I better be bloody good because I can't do anything else now. <laughs> That's it, you know. You've just nailed your colours to the mast here, so you better. You better end up being quite good at this, otherwise you you're stuffed, you know. Right, right. But there was, yeah. But as I say, honestly, Paul, there was a whole bunch of mistakes. You know, I caved the thing in in testing a bunch of times. I really do it, you know. So I wish I could turn around and say, no, I was a absolute. You know, I, I think there was, I think there was a lot of natural ability. I really yes, do. Yes, yes, yes. But but just because you got that doesn't mean to say you're home and dry. You, you need to shave off the edges and it did take me a while cracking i was about to say it took me a while to do that i was still making mistakes in formula three i made some in three thousand made some mistakes i never finished making mistakes believe me but but maybe not not such bad ones although there were a couple yeah i know i mean but that's always it and to to, you know to your point you said early on like i you know i've never done a perfect lap and in my in my opinion, no one ever has and no one ever will. We we get close, but you can always go into diminishing return and find something you could do better. Uh, you know, especially with data these days. So so um, you know that stuff all really rings true. And I think like that school of hard knocks. Maybe it's that attitude from the oil rigs that you took into the car. You know, where you or you know your your rocky analogies. You know that, but that mindset is a good mindset, you know, in, in motorsports, as long as, again, you're not crashing the car to such a point that you're either hurting yourself or, um, or not able to continue as a result of it. But if you're, if you've got the common sense to apply that mindset carefully, so that you stay on the road and win races and, and, and have generally good results, then that's how you build a reputation as a driver, you know? Well, I did, I did manage to hurt myself a couple of times, uh, because after winning the championship the first race of the following actually it's the second race of the following year i went airborne and that broke my back uh that was a good crash yeah yeah that was a good one um that was was a park it was in a formula Mm -hmm. ford formula ford yeah yeah i was testing the van diemen 84 to destruction that was in the second race of the year 
But that race at Alton Park, that crash was so big, they actually stopped the race at Silverstone. That's how big that crash was. <laughs> there were pieces that showed up on the on Hangar Street. <laughs> yeah. I was on West Midlands Airport radar for a little while. That's how high it went. You know? <laughs> exactly. But that I was, remember um, my days in Formula Ford were like that too, where I, I remember Watkins Glen going heading into um, – the turn five before they had the chicane there and just seeing a flash in my mirror and it was a car that just had vaulted over oh, the yeah. car behind me and was flying over me and uh you know just landed in front of me already in pieces and into the guardrail but the thing the, the amount of air it must have flown for 150 feet in the air not high but distance yeah where, where was that paul where was that chicane at watkins Glen? there's a reason for asking this so the chicane is right before the the, sort of the turn that it used to be turn five, but basically you have the you have turn one, you go through the S's and then there's a straightaway. Yeah. yeah. And, and the then there's a downhill right, isn't it? A downhill parabolic right. And they put yeah. the chicane in right there. And actually it was from a friend of mine. Tommy crashed there, Tommy Kendall. Yeah. Uh, from Tommy's crash. Yeah. Yes. So you Yeah, you Tommy know. crashed after because that's why I was asking actually, because the my first race was at Ohio. In the States, um, oh, I yeah. won that, but that yeah. was in the Camel Lights. And then they put me in the GTP, and we, in qualifying, we were clearly off the turbos there. But in the race, it rained. So I, I took the lead on lap three and then pulled away from everybody. And, and yeah, you know, this like, hadn't been done. But I loved the Watkins Glen circuit. I was trying to remember where that chicane was. And then it, while we were talking, suddenly I thought, no, that came in after Tommy's crash because Tommy yes. got really hurt there, didn't he? Yes, he did. And and then there was another yeah. crash just afterwards where someone was also either seriously hurt or killed. I can't remember, but it was the two crashes and then they put the chicane in. Okay, right. Okay. So I, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, do you know something? I think I raced in Watkins Glen in 97 in a small German car, the URD. Uh, they never had a T car, maybe for obvious reasons, if you put the T and the URD together. But um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm not, I don't remember if they, I just don't remember if they had the chicane there. But anyway, I'm sorry, I'll steer no, you off in a different Yeah, it would, have, it would have been there. They hired to. Tommy for me. Yeah, I will. I will. I'm going to you, I'm Sorry. having him on as a guest, actually. So at some point, I'll have him on. But uh, he's a, he's also a great a, a great ambassador for motorsports. He understands and speaks really well, and all of that good stuff. So that's that's all amazing. And so you did, you know, you just sort of hopped around the whole time. How did you end up coming to the states and racing? How did that all start? I had a great friend of mine who I drove for in three thousand, Roger Cowman, and um, this is. What I'm saying about being against Johnny, Jean Alesi, everybody else, he was running in 3000 out of his back garden, you know? So, yeah. you know, and what people didn't realize was that other teams were giving me tires, other teams were giving me fuel. They, there was a lot of people inside just trying to find some way to keep me on the track. And uh, so we had a couple of, you know, super results considering what we had you know but that was it but he was friends with a guy called julian randalls and julian ran the spice usa team 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. And Julian knew what I was doing and that was it and just said, can we have Perry come out and drive the uh, the Camel Lights car, the Spice Junior car. So I did that with uh, a Mexican driver called Thomas Lopez, real character, actually. Um, anyway, we uh, when we're at a bar one day, I'll tell you the full story about this, but this isn't for this podcast, okay? Um, but we, we won the race. <laughs> Believe me, we shouldn't have done, you know? And then it's because of, you know, what I was doing in that. They said, we want you to get in the GTP, and that was it. You know, I went, I went terribly quickly um and uh yeah so it kind of but it was that opportunity thing there was an opportunity and it was going opportunity to look pretty good and it worked you know yeah. so that was great and then the english press as well as you know jeremy and jonathan out in the states the english press were really doing an awful lot to highlight what i was doing in america to keep that before the f1 teams as well so, but you know, I was knocking on by there. You know, this was 1990, and I was 29. Mm -hmm. You know, so you know, Max was in F. Max Verstappen was in F1 at like 17. Yes, yeah. You know, he had an advantage. In, I mean, his mother had him two weeks early just to sit, get him on the track earlier. That is the kind of advantages <laughs> that, that family and, went. To. And she was a karting champion as well. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. You know, yeah. they didn't do the Lamar method. They got him cut off the umbilical cord and out of there in 3.8 seconds. It was that fast. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing to watch the current drivers. And, you know, I still coach. And so I'm, I'm sort of still in the mix with all that. Um, and it is amazing to see how much experience and how young they are. And you see this little 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old with this unbelievable not only resume but level of maturity and you yeah. think like what you were like at that age <laughs> you're just going holy cow but they're just they're so groomed in, in one way you feel a little sorry for them like their childhood was robbed a little bit but on the other hand you can't but be impressed by their their sheer level of professionalism and knowledge like they've been they've been digging into data systems since they have them in carding now for years they understand you know everything from one end to the other and they don't even have a learner's permit to drive on the roads yet. Yeah, it's incredible. Oh, I think that was actually the same as Max, you know. I don't sure. think – I'm not clear. I'm not sure he had his road license before he came into F1. It, there's a story around that. Yeah. yeah. That's so that's – I mean – He has a super license, but not a road license. You know? Exactly. You know. Which is just I mean, it's yeah. – you know, everything he's achieved this year has shown that, you know, there's there was that kind of – 
you see it, that that maturity, that expectation, that familiarity. This is probably why Formula One didn't phase Max when he first came into it, because he'd lived it. He'd been with Joss, his father, who's an yeah. XF1 yeah. driver, of course. Um, they understood the world of motor racing. So it wasn't all like the rabbit caught in headlights. Yeah, what the hell's Whoa. going on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. completely expected. And I think that clearly, of course, that is such a an advantage. And then, of course, you've had that advantage. You've had the opportunity. You still need to turn it on. Yeah. And what we've seen him is just maturing. To, we we recognised he was super talented as soon as he came into F1. But what we've seen is this constant evolution. He's just got better and better and better. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got maybe one of the best ever, maybe one of the best ever F1 drivers in perhaps the best ever F1 car with a team that's just not making mistakes. Exactly. So you put you put that little package well, together, yeah. the rest are in trouble. It's a nightmare. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For everyone else, yeah. No, yeah. it has it has been impressive. I mean, he he did come in like that, and he uh, and and you know you get you get a few that do. I mean, I, I always look back. You think of like how cunning and clever Senna was when he was doing his first original F one tests. You know, for Tolman and. The, you know, the, and the, the cars that he drove and how he drove them and under the conditions he drove them. He was just very careful all at all times. And then you look at, you know, Lewis, Lewis's first year in Formula Sorry, 1. Sorry, did you say Ayrton was careful? Well, I mean, I mean, he was careful out of the car. It, it, he was where where he he was so thoughtful about every time he got in the car in trying to make the right impression, making sure the conditions were met. That he would excel when he was in the car. He was just as crafty out of the car as he as he was aggressive in the car. Um, and in it's in not so. Opinion. I would have, I wouldn't have personally noticed that about him. To be honest, I mean, you know, sorry, I'll I'll just use this as a very I quick example. The 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 moment I kicked off in motor racing, I didn't go skiing again um, because I didn't want to be hurt outside the car. Which, right. with my level of skiing ability, was going to happen. You know, he was, <laughs> you know, that was it. So, being careful was a question of just isolating unnecessary risk not associated with what you do. So, if one were to sadly get really badly hurt inside a race car, and unfortunately, that kind of does come with a territory if it goes wrong a little bit. But it would have been really dumb, in my opinion. To have yeah. got her outside, so maybe if that's what you're referring to with Elton, but with regard to his on track craft, I no, I the bloke was just flat out, and the he was, equalizer yeah. being the rain, um, that's where he had that, that opportunity, which he was robbed of, in my personal opinion, and in, I'm not alone in saying that at Monaco. Where he actually that race should have been he it was the checker flag was thrown too early yes and yes. I think that was political it, yes you know, and he should have won that race at Monaco yeah in the Tolman you yes know? but that but that was sheer genius you know the funny thing is there was actually somebody down in the pack who was Stephen actually Bellof. even faster Stefan Beloff yeah Stefan was even faster in yep. the Tyrrell coming through you know but uh, but yeah so Ayrton, I mean Ayrton made his mark very very quickly i mean those of us inside you know coming through because Ayrton was in kind of like one or two school years above me and damon and johnny and martin and mark and everything uh, not martin sorry uh, well martin donnelly yeah 
So he was yep. kind of a, a bit ahead of us. Yes. But we were racing on the same tracks at the same weekend as that. Yep. So we were pretty familiar with that, what Elton was capable of from Formula Ford, from Formula 2000, from F3. That was the route Elton took. But then from F3, went straight into F1, yep. as did Martin Brundle. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking about, like, if you talk to uh, the test drivers for those teams that sort of handled his initial tests that were there on the day and sort of how how careful what I was referring to was sort of how he set the thing up for success before he got in the car. And then, yeah, once he was in the car, then it was this utter self-belief that he had in himself and his ability. And he he drove the car you know, 100% every time he got in the car. And that was sort of the, the thing that people cherish and love about that man. Um, I think what, from but, understanding one of Elton's, you know, key abilities, and you like to think all racing drivers have this to a degree, but maybe Ayrton articulated it even better and even more precisely, was to work with the engineers to try to describe exactly what was going on at each point of the circuit. And there seemed to be people were terribly impressed with the level he was able to go to. Yeah, I'm not clear that either maybe it was a lack of ability or just a sheer lack of patience, but I would kind of condense stuff down and just say, look, this is a problem here, this is a problem there, this is a problem there. And as soon as we got into a conversation about maybe we should use a packer inside the suspension on the left front and go, oh, give me a break. You know, just look at the, the major stuff. We are bored. This is... This is what we need to do. Whereas Ayrton yeah. probably would have sat there for three and a half hours, hours. straight describing how the spring was, you know, and that's, but, you know, we've all got different personalities there. Yes. You don't have to completely be like that to win the world championship. Maybe you did nope. to be at the center, you know, but. No, I, there, there's certainly drivers that have done it that have no, no knowledge of the car from an engineering perspective at all. They just get in and drive. I, I, I run across <laughs> those drivers all the time and, I it think that by the time how quick they are, you know. Yeah, by the, by the time you're in F1, you've got to have an understanding because otherwise you're not going to be leading the engineering team whatsoever. And there's only so much you can do to drive at 100% before you've got to make the car faster. And unless you're able to relay that and speak with the engineers and then understand some of the some of what they have done, and then precisely actually then discuss because obviously you know i'm kind of pre-data boy to a large degree you know we used to do it by telegram that's we've got to then turn around and say actually that has made i can just feel a tiny bit more bite or actually it's made it a bit worse or so you've got all the way through even from the 60s they would have been working with the engineers to just say they can feel the difference yeah. anybody who got anybody who's got to f1 pool will will have had that skill but then of course you do have different levels of that skill from different people nikki was a, a great example of somebody yeah. who could engineer the socks off something you know yeah absolutely very 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 different levels there and you know they just they just backfill you know the engineering side will just backfill i i like i said i know guys that are driving at a very high level now that don't have a lot of knowledge um of of that vehicle, but they do have engineers that they can communicate with 
almost down to grunts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and the engineer goes, Oh, okay. I know what to do. <laughs> They'll take it from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, really looking at the data, you can, you can even with data, you can, you can pull from data, like if a driver's confident or not by where, how they're attacking. So if the engineer has that level of acumen from the engineering side, they can judge driver confidence by what they're seeing uh, as, as data. Um, and without even yeah, but the driver, yeah, but, but hang on a second. The driver confidence might yeah. be because they're driving a donkey of a car. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah like, I know. I know. It, it it's might not be a because, simple puzzle. It's not simple. Yeah. It's <laughs> but, like I mean, we 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 still yeah. hear it all the time on yeah. F one. Is that with all the technology, the funding, the brilliance of all the drivers in or most of the drivers in F one, mm-hmm. and we're still hearing drivers coming and saying. I'm sorry, but I haven't got any confidence. I mean, it's a relative term, of course, because they're understandably complaining about the last half second, saying they haven't got any confidence in it, you know? Or, you know, that's it. But it is all these things that affects the psyche, and they're they're trying to push all the time. I mean, F1 nowadays, I mean, if if I was even capable of driving these cars, which I'll guarantee you, you know, if you put me in Lewis Hatton's car, and left me for three days with new tires and at the same circuit and the same conditions. And and if my body would take it, which it wouldn't, but if I ended up on the third day and there's my fastest lap with all my experience and background, he'd turn up, he'd do a warm-up lap and then pull my arms and legs off on his first lap yeah. because those racing drivers, they're, they're here and now. This is what they do. They're, they're, they're light bulbs of speed. Screw them in, and they think speed, and you've got it. Yeah. So they are absolutely attuned to everything that's going, everything that's going on. Yeah. But by the same token, I'm not clear F1 nowadays. I still watch it. I'm on the edge of my seat when it starts. I'm going, wow, yeah, the lights are off. That's it. But I'm not really clear nowadays it would have been for me because it's so engineering-led. Yeah. And... It is, they just don't seem to have any time whatsoever. It's, there's a there's a bunch of things that everybody involved is ultra professional. You know, it's, almost everything has been. Almost to a fault. That's kind of how I think. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things which I have, I understand them technically, I really do. But I don't really, I'm not on side with it because these steering wheels, that can make all the adjustments with the toggle switch and the and the default and then this and you press the button and then who cares? Yeah, you know, give them a radio. If they're lucky, give them a drinks bottle. That's it. Who cares? Just send them off with a great big engine and like let them go for wouldn't it. That, wouldn't that be marvelous? Yeah, that, that, that's how I think. Remember the A1 GP where they sort of tried to do that. You know, not too long ago, simple car with a bunch of, with a nice V10. And a bunch of grip and a bunch of downforce and and you know a simple steering wheel like, to your point and um, yeah, yeah it, it's, sure. it's so funny because it, you know the whole thing is so driven by the manufacturers of course that that they're 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 trying to use it to sort of out you know perform another manufacturer on a technical level because that proves that their road cars are better than the other guy's road cars so you know they're it's sort of like how we we like to focus on the drivers championship and they're focused on the manufacturers championship you know that's that's why they're in it um for bragging rights and to you know i, I know from 
I do work with Mercedes now and the latest Mercedes hybrid car uses a center section electric turbo system that's developed from, you know, that's derived from the F1 car engines, you know, so they're like so happy that they get to say that, you know, like we put billions into F1 and, you know, we got this piece right here, you know, and it's in our road cars and it makes them better. So there's just, for us though, we just want to see pure racing yeah. and we want to see the guys going at it. But, you know, t- to your point though, they're still doing it. Cause like, like what you just said a moment ago before you said that, you know, the level of it is kind of crazy now, but you were talking about how a driver that's talking about maybe a 10th or two is talking about not having confidence in the car. So it's still down to human beings. You know, that's the, the cool part. And they're still trying to, you know, and, and all those dials, of course, they're, you know, it's because in, in, in the rules, they're allowed to make those adjustments and those adjustments make the car faster. Cause if you, you change the diff for a fast corner and slow corner, you're eking out hundreds of a second doing that. And so, you know, they simply do it. It's, it's amazing when you think of like the driver load for that, when you watch them having, making literally some adjustment, whether it's a, you know, a brake bias or, or a differential or whatever they may be doing or a map or, you know, they, they can change reach. There's so many adjustments in the car. They're literally making those adjustments every single corner, wherever the corner is a different type than the one that was before it, or, you know, they're trimming it out for the straightaway and holy cow, like I can't even imagine that sort of loading on your head. You could imagine them coming up through F3 and getting a little field and a little bit in F2 and then getting dumped into F1 and they're like, here's your steering wheel. <laughs> you got, yeah. You've got, it's, but this is the thing for me you could do while you're driving the car flat out the whole time. Yeah. And you know, it's amazing. I, I think. I mean, I'm I'm being selfish. It, it's just, it's just my own kind of. It's just my own preference. Oh, I'm the same I, have, way. I feel the same. I, I have, they would say the same thing. Yeah, I've zero interest in the steering wheel. Sure, brake balance. That's great. That's a driver thing. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And maybe front and rear roll bar or yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, but not all this other stuff. For goodness' sake. Anyway, I'm sounding like a dinosaur. But no, that's, but, you know, it's okay yeah. because we like pure racing, and I think. Yeah, the message of pure racing gets lost in all the technology, and and so it's it's more difficult to realize it's just this this guy in there that's trying to get the most out of this car on this lap, just as it has always been, um, and they're trying to manage a set of tires for a stint, just as it has always been, and they're trying to outthink and outmanipulate the other drivers, just as it has always been. Like that's still always part of motorsports. Maybe now the tires are built to degrade and we hate that, you know, uh, you know, there's things along those lines that are, but the driver, the driver's job is the driver's job. It's yeah. They're twirling way more things on the steering wheel, but they're trying to twirl them better than the other guys. (laughs) You know? Yeah, sure. I mean, I just want to keep seeing, you know, there's been talk of AI coming into F1, et cetera. Now I'd rather hope that other people have got the same attitude as I do is that we, we, I think it's really necessary for any sport to maintain the human interest in it because we all know as humans we can screw up. So that's part of the excitement, thinking, yes. could they mess up? Could they get their strategy wrong? Could, that's another – but if you've got AI, you don't want to be reading on the race report before it starts. And we're predicting 97.8% possibility that Red Bull's going to win. We kind of might feel that, but we don't yeah. really need it reinforced, <laughs> you know? So, And this strategy stuff, there's a whole – 
you know, if if I was given a magic wand on this, um, which of course is never going to happen, but there's a whole bunch of things I would choose to pair back yeah, from sure. this uh, to make it slightly more pure. And then that would give us hopefully more of an opportunity to see the difference between absolute genius driver talent to great driver talent to maybe not so great. Because yeah. the thing is, if the if performance is continuously soaked up by software or other things that are doing the job for the driver, then anybody can drive to that. But the more you've got to actually feel it and work it out yourself, that comes more down to the driver and it gives, it it provides more of an opportunity for our big stars to shine even brighter and just say, look, actually, you think I'm only a tenth quicker than matey boy, but if we take all the bells and whistles off, I'm actually six tenths quicker than them. It's yeah. the other stuff that's making it up. Yeah, I hope yeah. that makes sense. And I'm not no, just ranting. It does, but you know, they don't have traction control. They don't have ABS. They don't have stability control. I mean, ultimately, as long as those things, because you know, you think about I've driven cars with that, race cars with that, with those systems, and you know, as soon as you can just pin the throttle when you come out of the corner, and the and the traction control does the job. As soon as you can mash the brake pedal, and there's no chance of any sort of significant lockup. You know that then all of that the skill ebbs because you lose that granular feel for those controls. Yeah. Um, and so F1, to its credit, with all the technology that it has, still doesn't have traction control, still doesn't have stability control or ABS. So the drivers are still driving. You look at, you know, MotoGP for example, where they go in and out, like they allow traction control some eras and then they put it away again other eras and. And it's very different then, you know, and, and different and different riders in that case will sort of jump up to your point and be successful where when those systems weren't allowed, they weren't successful. You know, so it, no, great. as long yeah. as we can keep those, keep the drivers driving, the riders riding them, we, we, we kind of always know who the best are. And, and then we still wait for a good wet race when, you know, the powertrain that has, you know, it's a little more slippery or has 20, 30 more horsepower than the other powertrain I, I reverted to I mean the, the the real life case with me Paul is that when you know unfortunately not always driving the best kit going etc but when it rained yes then I actually was <laughs> able on. to do something yeah. pretty good you yeah. know um and that's kind of I think that the the opportunity to show that in the rain um definitely helped me it helped me get some recognition and helped me get more support and people believing in me because because if we had been soaked up with electronics then i would i wouldn't have been able to show that because the others would have had that and so there's no difference you know what i mean when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. 
If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I, I used to, you know, whenever I was in a car that wasn't great, I always prayed for rain. Because uh, yeah, yeah. I, I knew I would have a shot. If, if, you know, the driver can make a difference if it's wet. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so all of that's yeah, all that's really cool. So that's mm-hmm. that, I mean, it's fantastic that you you've had all of those experiences. I think it's amazing um, that you that you got as far as you did. And you were talking about you know a, a part of this that was making it difficult for you, and that was your era was full of really good drivers. And as a matter of fact, you're like, yeah, damn them. You're friends with <laughs> you're friends with all of them now, aren't you? You guys are kind of known as this little rat pack yeah. of, of of the sort of the '90s era uh, in Great Britain, where they were list them off. I mean, we've got Damon Hill, world champion, right? Uh, you got like Martin Donnelly, he was in there, wasn't he? Mark Blundell, uh, Johnny Herbert. Um, who am I missing? Jim Bailey. Julian, Julian Bailey. Julian Bailey, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then, so that's our, that's our, well, that was our central rat pack because us lot come from Formula Ford, Formula 3, Formula 3000 altogether. And so, I mean, we, we were friends during, even though we were racing against each other, we were all friends, you know, so the, the, our kids all know the other kids and, you know, the, the wives knew the wives and that was it. So it was a bit of a throwback to the 60s type thing, that yeah, kind of yeah, mentality yeah. that we had. Um, but quite clearly on track, then none of us were stupid, you know, but it was hard. But there were some donuts out there, but not us lot, you know. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it was hard, but that was, you know, not not dumb. Um but yeah, we've all maintained this friendship. And in actual fact, is it next week? It's the seventh that is our next Rat Pack lunch. So um, yeah, so that's good. But so there was that original six of us. Then we adopted Marty Brundle fairly soon afterward to come along. And then my dear friend, Johnny Dumfries, who passed away um, a little while back. Um, and then Jonathan Palmer's come on board. Derek Warwick's been with us for a long time. So we've we've eked it out a little bit more. Dave Brabham comes to when he can with us a lot. So it's it's just a close collection of all pals that have raced together and we all know each other very well. So and then each year, the older we get, the faster we were. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you probably give each other a little bit more rope to go each time. You're like, it's fine, you're getting old. You know, you can yeah, tell yeah, exactly. the story that way. I won't call you out like I would have 10 years ago. I'll let you have it this time. <laughs> oh, no, we still call each other out. But <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, I was just in, I mentioned to you when, when we were chatting prior to the podcast here when I was setting this up, but I was just in Vegas at the Grand Prix where I got to uh, stunt double for Lewis Hamilton, by the way. So Yeah, I, got, I know. I heard that. That yeah. was, that was I, I put that 
it's right up there with the Stig and with my book. Uh, and it's like, like I've uh, I've doubled, doubled for Lewis Hamilton driving around the track. Um, but I but David Coulthard was out for that event, and um, and I've never met David. And uh, but you know, obviously, he's very well known through his racing, and also, of course, his his um, you know now he's a commentator, so he's very well known through that. But David, uh, I I mentioned you, and uh, <laughs> I didn't tell you his exact response. I want to say it now. He's like, oh, that Perry. He's a crazy bastard. <laughs> that was that was what he said. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Dave, Dave, David's joining us on the um, on the seventh in London. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's uh, yeah. I've I've got a lot of time for David, but uh, but you know there was a there was a situation between me and David at Williams because after I finished my year in Formula One, which was an unmitigated disaster, you know, yeah. you, you probably know the story. Tiny little team, which you probably have never been out there on the grid. We, we had it co completely covered. We weren't just slow. We were also dangerous, you know? <laughs> I mean, my, my car was tight-fitting, long, all in black. All we needed was four brass handles around the side. It was going to save time burying me, I'll tell you, right? <laughs> but that, but we were, I mean, it was that was heartbreaking to be in there. But then there was just this possible chance in 93 of getting the test drive because Damon had now got the drive because Nigel Mansell had won the world championship for Williams. Damon was test driver. Damon didn't stand a chance in the Brabham he was driving like me at the back of the grid. We were nowhere. Yeah. But Nigel threw the toys out the pram at the end of the year for reasons best known to him. <laughs> it was so late in the year, Williams didn't have another top driver sign. But we've got this test driver. We've been doing a blimming good job. So Damon got that drive and, of course, strangled it, both hands, you know, that yes. this is my chance. Yes, yes. But he left the, left the test driver roll open at Williams. So, of course, you know, I'm looking, thinking, I want that. But, of course, yeah. so does Dave Cawthard, you know. And, anyway, cut a long story short, Dave got the drive, probably rightly so, 10 years younger, very quick, much better looking than me. <laughs> which isn't a high bar to pass, to be quite frank. <laughs> but when I wrote my book, I can't use the language that I'd say, but in my book, I sent one to Dave and I said, dear Dave, thanks for my career, you lots of love, pal, you know? So I sent it through to him. <laughs> so when he wrote his book, he sent one through to me saying, dear pal, I owe it all to you. Lots of love, Dave. And I thought that was, <laughs> and I like that banter. That kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. You know, I, it, I, we I've can always all laugh about it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny enough, he tells the story, and he still laughs harder than I do about it. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bastard. Yeah, it, that's the that's the thing. I mean, I'm I'm always of the ill. It's sort of like you were you said this earlier when you were saying when someone got a ride. You know, you congratulated them. I always felt the same yeah. way. You know, if they were worthy, if they could get it done in a car, if I respected them as a driver and they got a seat, I was always the first to tell them, great job, you know, and, and uh, good yeah. luck and, you know, go get them, you know, all, all of that. I, I was never mm -hmm. like one of those people that was just universally bitter or, or yeah. hated everyone else that drove a race car because I had to. It's like, you know, you know, in the race, it's different. I'm going to pass them. If I can pass them, I'm going by them. I don't care how much I like him or not like him. It's just that's racing. That's different. 
but out of the car, I was always, I was always very respectful of them, especially if I respected how they drove the car, you know, and, um, and I think that's cool. And it lets you keep those friendships, especially as we, you know, we get older, there's some of the best friends we have, because I think they relate to our experiences maybe better than anyone no, else. No, I agree with that. They've, they've been I through a lot of that. the same. Because it is, yeah. motorsports is a crazy thing. I mean, it's 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 a crazy thing. I think if if people really understood what it was like, I was thinking about this too, and I think it was driven by, we were talking, I think it was, um, uh, you know, it was one of the commentators in in, in the Vegas race, actually. Um, and, and just talking about how, how crazy racing is, they were talking about how athletic the drivers are and how fit they need to be. And you're trying to equate it to another sport. And the thing about motorsports is it's, it's done like in formula one done on this, you know, Olympic level. When you think about like how much training these guys have to do and how fit they are and how much money is invested in them and their physical fitness, their mental abilities, all of these things, like all of it is so honed down to, to your point that it's almost it's way too much. But then you have this car. It's not like, you know, you're, you're Usain Bolt trying to run the hundred yard, you know, dash faster than anyone in the world. And you're out training every day for that. But it, it's like you're, you're doing that as a human being to be in the car. But then on the other side, the tool, the race car is this incredibly complex thing that well, 150 million dollars officially is being spent on. Uh, to, to field these two cars with 1,000 engineers in a lot of the big teams' cases for two cars. You know, it, it's like this, this crazy endeavor that motorsports is. And then you look at, you can go all the way down to F3 or even Formula Ford these days and think about, like, how sophisticated any form of motorsports is these days relative to, like, when you and I were racing in Formula Ford and, and you were talking about a F3000 team that was done out of a guy's you know, garage in his backyard, you know, like, like that. I, I, I feel that it was a question of, you know, when it comes to the fitness side of stuff is that I was quite aware of the fitness because if you, if you're going to be able to try to um, keep that level of focus and, and strength, because, you know, back then we didn't have the power steering. So the, the downforce was making the car an awful lot heavier to steer. And yeah. in the wrong car, that could actually be really bloody difficult, you know? Yeah. So I was I was always keen on the fitness side of things. And so I was actually very fit. And I actually was also very strong. Now, there's a reason for mentioning this, is that you can bet your bottom dollar that all of the drivers on the grid today are fitter again than I ever was. Yeah. Maybe I'm not clear about the strength thing because we had to be strong shoulder and yeah. arms wise to steer these things. I mean, when you meet, if you ever meet Nigel Mansell, you know, you shake hands with Nigel and if you're lucky, the blood returns to your fingers inside four days. You know, it's like, he's incredibly strong. So there was that kind of upper body strength thing going on. But in the pursuit of excellence and performance, it's exactly the same as cars. So they all have the right trainers, the right nutritionists, the right psychologists, the right this. Yeah. So they've turned these drivers, they're exploiting correctly any performance that's inside Absolutely. them, every Absolutely. from an engineering position, every bit as much as the car. Yes. It yes. once again 
it kind of goes into, for me as a character personally, it would have been slightly overkill because there would have been so much to do. I think he personally would have burnt my fire out for the enjoyment of wanting to do it because I don't like being told what to do on every single level all the time. You know, engineers, the engineers in F1 nowadays, in my opinion, are predominantly telling the drivers how they have to drive. Now, you understand that because they understand the flow and the position and the angle that the car has to present in order to keep the downfalls, the optimum downfalls all the time. But crikey, this is like, some of it's like painting by numbers. And you're going, oh, but anyway, it is how it is now. Yeah. But it's it's one of those areas that again probably wouldn't have been completely for me. Yeah, but yeah. I beg your pardon, I've gone around the house. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. Going to that fitness thing. Yeah, yeah but it's, and that it's was because you would have been you, you know, if you had come up through karting, you would have been groomed into that system as a driver today. You know that, yeah. that, that you would because you'll you'll you get a mic, micron dash on your cart. You know that has. You're you're looking at data. You're talking. You're getting into engineering now in, at the Formula Four level. So the, yeah, a race car driver but, is a different product than it was, you know, back. But in you know, saying Paul, that it's, do you mind me? Do you mind me leading? But while we're having a chat, as we were set out to do, but that that does lead me to something is that some people make the mistake of thinking because ABC was double quick in a car and then his career stopped, they would automatically have come through if he'd been able to come through, you know, and uh, financially or whatever the yeah. score is or with the right team. Do you know saying that's not always the case? Because I came across some really, really good people in Formula Ford, and it absolutely did not suit them in Formula 3. Mm-hmm. You, you, I mean, you really could see it. At every, then, every step you see that, I think. You see guys that are, excel at, at, at one thing and, and then don't yeah. adapt. They just don't feel comfortable. Sometimes they're intimidated. I've heard of guys going to going to Indy and doing a lap around the Indy Oval, thinking like that was their dream, and then getting out of the car going, that's crazy. No. And not and not oh, really, yeah. Yeah, and just not doing it. So there's several people that have done that, but you would see that it, it not quite as profoundly as I did one session, I stopped, but they would suddenly be lackluster at that next level, where at the prior level, they were a top runner. And, yeah, and basically, sure. that, sort of to your point, where we were we were chatting about how we like high horsepower, high downforce cars. Some people don't like that. You know, that yeah, everything's coming absolutely. out too quick. And they're like, eh, you know, they, they're just, yeah. they, they kind of like a certain pace and, they're, and they excel at that. You know, it, it, maybe it doesn't make it's like some you, chess players are really good at chess, but they're terrible at speed chess. They don't like yeah. playing the game quickly. They like to play it thoughtfully. You know. So no, I'm 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 actually great at speed chess. There you go. Really, really good. But I'm I'm really fast. It's just I'm rubbish at chess. But at least the game's over quickly. <laughs> yeah, I can knock my pieces over quicker than anyone. <laughs> oh look, I'm out. Is that what you say when you're out of chess? Yeah, Did I win? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but it's, it's um. But, I mean, I know you've been around the block coming through, and uh, I've always been a bit of a fan, actually, Paul, of how you've articulated the process of driving. Because we've talked about in this in the past. I think that you've you've really, in a kind of a succinct way, rather than over-mathing it all the way through, well, you've, yeah. you've been able to describe 
maybe some of the easier to grasp things, which I'll guarantee you, I I would never have been able to describe how you describe stuff. I, I oh, it's you. just not it's not part of my makeup, you know. But congratulations on Optimum Drive, mate, because I think you've done a super job there. Well, I, re I really appreciate that. And I think for me, like it wasn't, it's not like some magical thing that I have. It was just, yeah, all right, all right, the check's coming. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but if, if it was all that, you know, I I worked the, the Skip Barber School, the Jim Russell School, uh, Audi Sports Car Experience, AMG Academy now, a Mitsubishi School, I've, I've taught thousands and thousands of people and every time you teach someone you learn a little bit about yourself you know in a way and all of that experience just are you know to your point like articulating driving on a daily basis yeah. and then and then seeing ways you can say it that that resonate with people and then yeah. seeing ways you can say it that don't resonate with people and eventually just 30 years of that you, you hone in on a reasonably efficient, effective process, which is why the the book happened. You know, it was just like yeah, I, yeah. no one's ever really talked about it this way, so I'm going to talk about mm -hmm. it this way. And to your point, very specifically, no math because we're yeah. rubbish at it. <laughs> well, but it's not just that, but it's just not translatable. You know, I, I think that I think the art of writing your kind of book, which, as I've said, isn't in me is to try and get to the low-hanging fruit and keep engagement. But something that's not... If you overwrite all this stuff, it's boring. You know, you've got to have something that people can remember, easy to feed in lessons to adopt. You know, that that's, that's pretty much it. Because it's... I mean, how you've come through all these training things, I, I just... Your level of tuition understanding patience you're in a different sphere to me because i i just don't have that level of patience with people you know it's just i don't <laughs> that, that's my stig thing coming through it's the well okay see ya <laughs> that's it yeah I, I i really to this day i love taking someone that has never driven around a track quickly in their lives scared of it thinks it's crazy but they happen to be there and, and by the end of the day, I've converted them into an enthusiast and someone that's kind of like now appreciates what we were just talking about, the, the athleticism, the mental discipline and all those things that are required to be a racing driver. And they see that, oh, that's what it is, you know, because it is it's just this It's you know, kind of to what I was saying a, a moment ago. It is pretty incredible. And, and you and I were chatting a little bit about Pikes Peak you know before we went live here but it is it's just funny they let us do it like if they realize what racing was like like it, it is truly like gladiator school like you're it's like it's the modern version of that you remember i don't know if you remember the quote from ernest hemingway but he said there's there's three sports basically it's it's bullfighting mountaineering and and racing cars because there's real skin in the game and, it, and it's funny, like they still let us race cars and then they they let us race cars on this incredibly professional level where it could be all the way up to Formula One. But you realize like in the car, the intensity of this, it's like it's that's why they say it's better than any drug. Right. It's incredible to be in a car in a race. Um, and then if you lump on the fact that you've got you know, a, a team, maybe a manufacturer, a global entity 
relying on you to get a result for them this weekend because they've invested an amount of money that you can't even really imagine. <laughs> in I've getting, got a big imagination. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, I got, I got this. You know, but but all of that, like, it's so special to drive a racing car. That's my point. It's an incredible privilege, honor, and and at the same time, an incredible challenge to get to do it. And and it's like, um, you know, the last few words in in my book, you know, quoting Steve McQueen from the movie Le Mans, but you know, racing is life. Everything else is just waiting. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna adapt that phrase. Racing is life. Everything else is just finding a way to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the pro yeah, Steve McQueen had money, so he could just wait. The rest of us had to hustle the rest of the time, you know, to try and get in that car. But uh, but that's it's cool. Well, I think that's a that's a, a a pretty cool spot to maybe maybe end this, Perry. And I I just want to say thank you so much. We've watched it in England, by the way. Perry's in England now. I'm in. It's it's morning here in Colorado. Perry's in the UK. Where do you live, by the way? Uh, we're just out. We're in the farmland, but just outside London. Oh, okay, cool. cool. So it's kind of so. I haven't got any neighbors. It's by their request. Um, but it's, it's, it's lovely and close to uh, the city. So that's, uh, it suits me just fine. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I, I miss it. Like I said, I grew, I grew up there and spent most of my time here in the U S obviously, but, um, I love it every chance I get to go back and we've watched it go from, from being light out to being dark out, um, in the UK now. So yeah, Harry McCarthy, it has been an honor, a pleasure. You and I have talked about doing this for, for quite a while. So I want to thank you for for taking the time, uh, you know, and uh, spending some time with us. I love, I mean, everything about your career is just pure magic. By the way, you deserve a movie. <laughs> Someone Thank needs you. to get the Perry McCarthy story. Because I think about it, like doing the Stig part, you know, that, not even that, just the motorsports part is is worthy of a racing film. And then you throw the Stig in at the end and then all, all the stuff you've done beyond that, you're like nodding, like, mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> No, no, I don't. I, I, it's it's oh, amazing. I, I I still I still obviously, honest to God, see everything as an adventure. You know, the fact that I'm not racing anymore doesn't mean that my attitude to everything else has changed. You know, I just I love doing stuff, making things happen, and uh, and if there's a movie to be discussed, yeah, we should talk about it soon. <laughs> I think. Clearly, obviously, Brad Pitt or Leonardo DiCaprio would, to just yes do, to do me justice, obviously. Yeah, maybe Timothy. Shannon or maybe even Lassie. <laughs> <laughs> well, great right, to well, see you to all your viewers and everything else. Uh, lovely to meet you. Thanks very much for your time. By Optimum Drive, he knows what he's talking about. Way more than I do. Listen to him. And and you know uh, anyone that would say something like that, obviously Perry McCarthy knows exactly what he's talking about too. Thank you again, Perry. Um, hopefully we'll get to chat again sometime soon. Best of luck with everything. And again, thanks so much for coming on to the Optimum Drive podcast. Take care, my friend. Lots of love. Thanks, Paul. Cheers. Bye-bye. Take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.